That's classified. It's what? It's classified. It had been deemed classified. And B, that footage is highly classified. Classified. It's classified. You can't tell right. anybody, but... People need to know. Welcome to CIO Classified, where you'll find candid conversations with the world's leading CIOs. In each episode, we have two different CIOs discuss a single topic. This week, we were joined by Tim Chester and Carrie Rasmussen. Tim is the Vice President of IT and CIO at the University of Georgia. He's a seasoned C-level executive with over two decades experience in state-supported and private higher education institutions. Carrie is the CIO at Ceridian. She's an industry veteran with more than 20 years of experience leading enterprise organizations. Previously, she was the CIO at the Safemark Companies and has also held senior leadership roles at Safeway Incorporated. In this episode, Tim and Carrie talk about spending your IT budget wisely, from investing in new tech to improving the employee experience. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from today's sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Asana. Asana is a leading work management platform that empowers teams to orchestrate their work, from daily tasks to big strategic initiatives, all in one place. By enabling the world's teams to work together effortlessly, Asana helps organizations of all sizes and industries achieve their goals faster. Learn more at asana.com. That's A-S-A-N-A.com. And now, here's your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to CIO Classified. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today we are joined by two special guests. First, Carrie, how are you? I'm great, Even. Thank you for having us here. Yeah, thanks so much for joining. And uh, Tim, how are you? I'm doing well, Ian. Again, I appreciate the time to, uh, to spend uh, a few minutes with you and Carrie. Indeed. So today we're going to be talking about the evolving role of the CIO in the public and private sector. We're going to talk about economics, such as investing in tech and curbing costs mm-hmm. elsewhere, and to uh, employees, such as improving DI efforts and everything in between. Let's get into it today. Tim, let's start with you. What does your role of VP of IT at the University of Georgia entail? Well, the university uh, has about $1.8 billion in revenue. About $600 million of that is, is related to its research and, and innovation mission. And uh, we've got 50,000 customers. We call, them, we call them students. They're coming to campus as we speak and classes begin tomorrow. We're a large federated IT enterprise. So directly, I'm responsible for IT operations relating from you know, classical ERP systems to track our students and customer systems that we use to pay people track revenue and expenses, internet information security, uh, and all of those things. And then out at our edges in our 19 colleges and schools, there are federated IT units that really focus, and again, without a lot of redundancy or overlap, on services that really are unique to those research and innovation missions at, at, at the edge. So there's about 240 uh, people in my organization. Uh, I'm responsible directly for about a $40 million spend, but there's another 400 IT professionals working throughout those 19 schools and colleges and probably about another $60 million spend. Now, while we are federated as vice president, I am responsible from a policy and 
operating procedures and kind of control standpoint. Uh, and that works really well. It works really well in, in, in most organizations, private or public sector, that have that research and innovation mission. I've got several friends that are CIOs in the private sector and particularly some in the, in the defense sector that, that operate very much like a research institution. We run probably about 60% of the, the institution's IT. 40% runs at, at the edges. It's very unique to each of those uh, schools and colleges. But again, very, very little overlap and very little redundancy. Fantastic. And Carrie, what about you? Uh, thank you, Tim. Gosh, what a what a vast area you are accountable <laughs> for. Um, Kamina is a CIO coming in from a public sector. Ceridian is a human capital management company. We are well known for our Dayforce product, uh, where we provide services around human resources, talent, management, benefits, um, everything you can imagine. Uh, payroll services is a big one. Ceridian has really gone global from a company's perspective with a number of acquisitions coming in. So as my role coming in as a global CIO, I really focus on the internal enablement, uh, partnering closely with my team in product and development, right, where we're developing a lot of things around our new products in adjacent markets. So my role, um, I service, again, enablement around the internal IT functions. So supporting our, our own HR department, as well as our finance accounting. I'm a big customer of Salesforce, enabling our sales organizations to go out there. Uh, data analytics, uh, EDW advanced analytics, as you can imagine. Uh, similar to Tim, we actually have a similar budget size. I operate just around the, the $15 million mark you know, globally. Uh, we tried to be a cloud-first, fast-based vendor. We always hope to leave tech ops in the background as we move to more enablement, but it's always kind of there. So we still oversee the global infrastructure for corporate services. Wonderful. Such comprehensive reviews, and I, I appreciate it because it really lets us kind of dive into the details. You know, Tim, you sit in the public sector, Carrie, obviously, in a totally different way. I'm curious, Tim, you know, this role, the CIO, it, how has it changed? What do you think has changed most recently, especially in the last two years with kind of everything turning on its head? Well, I think we've been on a kind of long-term trajectory, uh, frankly, where people skills and understanding the human and social experience and kind of emotional intelligence and being able to read that is frankly more and more critical to the success of, of IT operations. When I got into this business, technical skills really were both necessary and sufficient for success with IT initiatives. We were building networks. We were connecting every building on campus together to this thing called BitNet, which eventually became the internet. We were building large computer labs and we were just beginning, you know, to, to adopt off-the-shelf ERP packages as kind of the, the main information systems that, that drove the enterprise. The big difference between then and now 26 years later is that, frankly, technical skills, strong engineering is, is necessary, but it's no longer sufficient for success. It's not even close. Having employees who, who know a lot about business they understand principles like Lean, Six Sigma, how to eliminate waste and redundancy, how to I uh, how to put an eye towards defects in our business, and and really championing you know strong process management are, are some of the most important skills that that basically with strong engineering allow us to be together are really necessary and sufficient for success. I, I wrote an article about 15 years ago and published it said technical skills no longer mattered, and I took a lot of flack in my industry yeah, uh, and then the professionals from that in fact somebody questioned yeah somebody questioned me at a, at a conference once it says well in the fundraising space do fundraising skills no longer matter and i said well it's it's not quite the same fundraising might be interesting but there's a lot of human relationship management that's a core part of that that frankly we were missing at that time 
I, I love the, the fact that you got a lot of flack for that, Tim, and I could only imagine, but I actually concur, right? Like I mentioned, I have a, a son going into college and we've been looking at curriculums out there. The curriculums have been changing of how we're training mm-hmm. our technology leaders at that younger age. And so nowadays, right, again, engineering skills, at least with what we're doing, we're more of a SaaS-based first you know, organization. Again, we want to push that to the background and really focus on business enablement. And I'm, I'm seeing that, you know, a key competency for me when I'm looking at leaders is leaders that have that business acumen who can relate to where we're going as a company, who can pivot their technology skills and acumen to helping achieve those business goals. Without knowing those goals, how are you aligned to the overall KPIs and objectives of your CEO and even board direction? So to- totally in alignment with Tim on the fact that those technical skills are still needed but I like to see them more at the enterprise architecture. You know, my team will, will tell you, I am a huge proponent of drawing that map and leveraging those skills up front, whether it's cloud governance, whether it's security, embedding that into the design. So then the teams can run a little faster on the back end. And I'm curious, obviously, the economy has been you know, all over the place, depending on your sector, you know, the, the sort of the the nice to haves became need to haves, haves overnight. And now, you know, perhaps we're on the other end of that. Carrie, I mean, how should CIOs be thinking about investing in new technology? The way we tend to look at it first is transparency is, is first and foremost to make sure that we are all alignment of what we're investing in. So we do operate in an IT governance model where we look at investment strategies from not just an IT lens, but again, a, a business perspective coming in. So that's first and foremost. And then tracking, you need to know where you're spending. That's the, the second one. And again, transparency to leadership as to where we're spending and being able to break it down as to, I'm spending this much on talent and people, this much on technology, this much on security, this much on mitigating risk, this much on innovation, right? So we need first need to know how we're mixed and how we're breaking down that spend. And then you need to look at, again, there are things you have to say in my organization that there are functions that while they're important, they are parity. I need them to be operational, finance, even HR in some respect. Where I want to spend my time and money is on differentiation of technology And that's usually driving sales, my customers, how are we doing service for them, right? And a lot of that you'll see as the underlining also with the data analytics, right? Digitize everything. So you have those insights to be able to providing that back to those organizations so they could be more effective. Tim, what do you think? Well, I think it's a time to frankly invest. And again, I came to the University of Georgia about 11 years ago. There were huge ambitions amongst the key stakeholders to really streamline and kind of eliminate redundant systems. And, and over the course of about six to eight years, we, we implemented new ERP systems, uh, full suite. And, and we got rid of, frankly, somewhere between 80 and 100 shadow systems. And we really were able to, to streamline the management of information and to standardize it in a way to, to, to provide much greater clarity uh, in terms about the institution's operations. And we walked into the pandemic with those assets and it allowed us to pivot, frankly, a lot easier than, than I think some of my counterparts at other institutions were able to do that. But the institution, I think, has been really good for us. So we're doubling down in investments that I think make a lot of sense for the institution. The institution has ambition to uh, to increase its federal uh, research and innovation spend by about $100 million over a couple of years. AI, machine learning, and data science faculty hires are, are key to that. And so our, our big piece of that agenda is on the infrastructure and operations side. We're making about a a $5 million investment this year in our high-performance set of services and to support faculty in those important fields. Yeah, I'd, I'd 
and I'd add, I'd add one thing. Most CIOs are seeing that pressure right now as we're preparing to go into whatever this is of a type of a recession, inflation, right? How can we h- harvest some cost savings yeah. to reinvest in those critical areas? And it's different by sector and by, by industry. For us, it's obviously, we've got to double down on growing sales, right? We are in this business. We have a great product. We are driving global. And so we do have to put certain initiatives on back burner. But more importantly, we are being asked to how do we take inefficiencies and repurpose that? So it's not really uh, we're being asked so much for a budget cut, but it's a reallocation of funds through proper harvesting. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm curious, like, what are the things that that you need to harvest? Uh, I don't know if you can share any of those, you know, generally or broadly. Well, Tim, Tim said the first one is best practice, right? 3D is growing at a rapid pace. And one of the problems is we have duality of applications through acquisitions. And so coming into my role, the first thing I really adopted was our global strategy, not just from how can we absorb that technology to have some synergies of cost, but this brings on an amazing labor mix, right? So we operate pretty heavy out of the Asia Pacific region now. And so being able to build up shared services and look at a global operating model has really actually helped us. So you know, while it seems like this problem, I wanted to say that we always take those problems and make those opportunities out of them. And so taking the duality of the systems out of our, our industry or our company right now has been the first one. And there's always operational inefficiencies. Ceridian has grown at such a rapid pace. If you look at our history of how we've grown, we went public, we're at a billion dollars revenue, we're looking to double that. The pace is astonishing. And when you say you got to keep up. I mean, I am running as fast as I can to keep up with them, which is a great thing to have. So, but with that, you leave a lot of inefficiencies. We've built a lot of things in manual processes, right? Excel is our favorite friend in some areas, right? So these are things that we have an obligation to go make our team members more efficient. And again, it's not about reduction in forces. It's really about repurposing for the growth that we're occurring so we don't have to continue to hire. So a lot of those around, you know, the the age-old digital transformation, how do we automate on the edges? How do we ensure that we're taking out some of those manual processes? And let's face it, I'm in a business that has very sensitive data. We are in a human capital management business. So we are heavily regulated from that sense. And so being able to take manual processes is making us even more secure and more compliant. Yeah, I think Carrie just nailed it. I, I think the most unheralded, you know, skill for the IT organization is business process management, right? Being able to take a process view towards business within the enterprise, being able to document the flow, being able to look for waste and, and various handoffs and, and frankly, just effective work. I think one of the most frustrating things for users, as well as one of the most inefficient things in a business is when you've got work flowing in all of these queues and you need somebody to take two or three minutes to take action on something, but it sits in one of their queues for three weeks before they actually yeah. get to it. And, you know, that kind of waste of time, frankly, is the biggest waste of, of, of capital and spend inside of any, any business. So, you know, having staff that are skilled in that area and that before we think about doing anything on the IT side, we really take a look at what are the what are the processes that we're either automating or trying to, to make more efficient and how are we going to know whether or not we're successful. Those are really, really important skill sets. But isn't that stuff so hard to measure? Like, I know that I can shave off a million and a half bucks here just by doing that, like pretty cut and dry. Actually improving, you know, company performance or productivity or things like that, isn't that kind of hard to measure? 
I mean, I think it can be. I think, uh, you know, I'm interested here from Carrie from the private yeah. sector side. But I mean, I think you can document a process out. You can map it to swim lanes. And frankly, every handoff of work across those lanes tends to be, you know, the opportunity to, to reduce complexity and spend. Yeah, it takes the right type of person who can build a process at that level, go three levels down and be able to do a time analysis to say what fraction of an mm-hmm. FTE am I saving? But at the end of the day, it's not just about harvesting that value. It's it's looking at the what you're doing to enable the employee base, right? We are trying to grow a culture of highly motivated teams. And if their you know processes are are hampered by inefficiency, they're not going to be a high performance, high motivated team. So it's it's worth the time to be able to do that. But yeah, Ian, you can measure it. You can absolutely measure it. And then you're going to see it in your productivity scores and in your employee engagement scores as well, as they're seeing that we're investing in those you know, efficiencies to make their job better. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add to that, Ian. I mean, most of us all use you know, ERP-type systems to, to manage the flow of our work. Every one of those systems has logs that, that map what happened, when, who did it, what was the action, where did, where, what step was before it, what step was after it. I mean, there are plenty of tools, Salonis and others that, that are out there that allow you to, to process map that stuff and, and, and look for bottlenecks and uh, inefficiencies pretty easily. How does hybrid play into that? This is one of the great questions of our time is that, you know, there's there's no escaping hybrid at this point. Not that we need to escape from it, I should say, but it's here and productivity and processes now are a little different with people working from home. It's been a positive, right? We now can allow people to work, you know, pretty much anywhere. And for me, I can now look at talent in a way that I didn't look at talent before. There are things about a hybrid workforce you will struggle to ever get back. And that's that connection, not the collaboration. I mean, we can all talk video conferencing all day long, but really that human connection, right? That is hard to get. So what you have to look at is what are the other things that you can do to help kind of strengthen around that where you're not going to have that back where we can all just jump in a conference room um, from that front. But we've really embraced it and we've embraced it as we were going rapidly into the global environment. Um, The challenges we see, I will be honest, uh, it's usually around infrastructure in the regions and we're operating, right? And so we may even have supply chain issues where how do I get, you know, a device to that individual through through mail, since we are now so global and operating in, in a number of remote regions. So it's pretty cool. You know, I, I think we've got a lot more work to do. I, I think we're going to have to figure some of this stuff out. If you're not careful, you're going to end up with a hybrid workforce or a hybrid kind of model where people come into the office and they sit in their, their office and they stare at Zoom all day. And I don't, I'm not sure there's any advantages yeah. to us or them in, in doing that. So I think you have to be really creative about teamwork, how people work with one another, what their dependencies are on, on one another, and kind of layer that into your model so that it, that it works, so that it really is a good experience both ways. And I think we're still trying to figure out how to do that effectively. And now let's take a quick break to hear about our presenting sponsor, Asana. This podcast is brought to you by Asana. Even if your team isn't in the same place, your work can be. You just need Asana. Asana is where teams securely coordinate work so everyone knows who is doing what, by when, and why. To learn why millions of teams worldwide use Asana, visit asana.com. That's A-S-A-N-A dot com. Finishing the kind of conversation about investments here, anything that you think that 
CIOs absolutely have to make investments before a market downturn or something like that. If budgets to do tighten and don't expand and stuff that you need to make sure is already budgeted for and stuff that you you think is essential or will be essential soon, but might not feel essential yet. I think, Ian, the answer is always the same for a lot of us. It's security, right? The bad guys are getting more creative. It's not going away. So investing in tools that not just provide us with security, but also visibility into the workforce. I really say one of the things that we can do with CIOs is turn the lens and say, how do I treat my workforce with the same level of service and data and insights that I would want to do for my customers? And so, again, I would group that with, you know, enablement of the staff, but at the same time, a number of those tools provide a lens into security of what's going out there with all of those endpoints. Yeah, I just agree. I agree with that. But in addition to that, I think it's probably the opportunity to recapitalize equipment and infrastructure that's on premises where you can, just because I think there's probably a, a leaner three to five year cycle coming. I'm curious if you, if either of you have sort of like a strategy like around when the business units come to you with requests, when it is like a market downturn, like, hey, I really, really want this thing now. And you're like, well, I didn't have whatever a million bucks budgeted for this gigantic thing that you want. I'm just curious, like, how do you go about sort of that peer leadership piece? <laughs> We're a stakeholder led first organization. And, and I think, you know, with solid operations, we kind of have the trust and respect that allow us to be to be really strong partners in that. Just to give you an example, about a year ago, we, we had people on the academic program leadership side wanting to do an initiative that will basically streamline our degree programs further. It's got some potential to uh, help reduce some redundant courses that perhaps students don't really need to take and help make them aware of those choices before they end up uh, registering for those courses. And at the same time, it's going to help us with some compliance regulations on the financial aid side. We helped them put together a, a pitch to the senior administration and the president about the initiative was about, what type of investment it would take. You know, we helped them. Frankly, I spent a lot of time with the president on various matters, and I have a good sense of how to put a pitch together that will resonate with him. And, uh, you know, I helped them shape their presentation. But frankly, it was theirs to make. It was their pitch to make. You know, it's their transformation. We're enablers of that. So we try to enable them to, to be successful and we help them do that. Yeah, I like that term, Tim, stakeholder-led. It's the best chair to be sitting in as a CIO, right? The demand, you know, if, if it appears free, the demand is going to be unlimited. There will always be more demand than any of us can, can take on. So it's our ability to, you know, sift through that and make sure that we're investing our resources, time, money, people towards the highest value thing. But the, the most important thing is that word stakeholder, right? Our business has to have skin in the game. And so being that great partner and helping them, coaching people through building strategies, building through financial models, right? Uh, what are the outcomes you're driving towards? Do those outcomes align to the business goals? And if you do it well, right, people will sometimes self-select out, right? Because they say, "My real, yeah, they might realize this initiative isn't going to get anywhere because it doesn't align to the goals or... You know, frankly, sometimes I don't have stakeholders who want to put the time and effort into it. But really, at the end of the day, this is their technology and making them part of the conversation, ensuring that they know their costs are spent again and feeling like I'm here just to orchestrate the, the outcome. Right. But it's, it's yours. I'm doing it on your behalf. And so, again, that strong partnership, that open transparency. And again, that we're making decisions together. You know, that's going to be what makes us successful. Yeah, I, I agree with Carrie. It's, it's amazing. Once you really allow IT to be stakeholder led, 
so many bad ideas or so many ideas that are unproven, frankly. Those people self-select out when they realize how much work yeah. it takes to put together a pitch, to have to take ownership of it. You know, again, a lot of that stuff falls to the wayside pretty quickly. Okay, let's talk DEI. IT as a field has not historically been very diverse. Uh, I'm curious, Tim, how do you think about uh, DEI? Well, the first thing I think about is it's really three things, right? Diversity is a little bit different from equity, which is a little bit different from inclusion. So I, I think you have to kind of tackle it in with, with three different kind of mindsets and approaches. On the diversity side, uh, I came to UGA in 2011. I remember interviewing with my predecessor's team of direct reports. I walked into the room, there were 10 white males there. We've made considerable progress. And, and part of that has just been, been simply based upon the principle, we need to grow our own. And we tend to hire at the entry levels and we tend to promote aggressively from within. And we tend to use the work and the, men and the mentoring that comes from working as a part of a team to, to develop people and, and to develop them. We tap somebody else on the shoulder immediately and put them in that role on an interim basis. We give them an interim raise and that says to them, we're investing in them. And frankly, other people see that. And it says to them, again, we're committed to keeping that talent pipeline full and, and as an indispensable part of our work. On the equity side, I think the institution has made dramatic, and, and this has to be an institution kind of tip of the spear approach to, to doing equity adjustments, uh, particularly as a part of retention efforts uh, across the board with the institution. I think the institution, the president, have been very, very generous uh, in that way. Some of our employees have gotten as much as 10, 12, 15% raises uh, in the last two years as a part of those equity uh, adjustments. And then in the inclusion side, that tends to be a staff-led, team-led kind of thing. I think one of the more fun things that for the entire organization has been realizing how the typical IT vocabulary is just frankly not inclusive at all. And, and some of the phrases that we use to describe things, you know, like whitelist and blacklist and, and so on and so forth, how all of those phrases really, really need to go. And we need to scrub our documentations, our vocabularies, vocabularies of those types of phrases. And uh, it's been a team kind of ground up kind of approach to do those things. Yeah, it's interesting. You're listening to Tim. I'm, we're kind of on the other side as far as the type of companies, right? Sturdy and high growth. We're hiring rapidly. Obviously, we too have been impacted by a number of things. So as we hire, we're really putting a lens on you know, DEI. And so taking a look, stepping back, one of the things that I think is amazing about a you know, number of companies out there, in, including Ceridian, is we are in the human capital management business. We're all about people, right? And so it behooves us to build a culture around the products we sell and the, you know, the image and our brand message that we want to portray out there. And so Ceridian has taken a huge step forward, making big, bold statements around DEI. Uh, recently, they've created a global diversity advisory council that is made up employees globally, right? So we're getting the insight directly from the team members. While they're focused on innovation, growth, advancing our workplace, we it's really about making an environment where people can be inspired and prosper and be their best person. And I say these with such passion because they are truly the words of our culture of our company. And so when you have that and the company is leading by that, we really can do some amazing things. And so if you look at gender equality, especially, right, in 21, Ceridian was at 49% gender equality, but, you know, male, female. And we have a promise to our, our team members that we're going to be a 55th gender parity in senior management. That's like VP and above roles by 2025. 
So Sridi is really right. focused, which again, as a leader to be in that culture and be inspired and be allowed and given the tools to do the things that I need to do to build diverse, equitable, inclusive teams. I mean, it's, it's just an amazing environment to be in. And, and we know that talent, they look for places where they can have that purpose-driven career where they they want to be and these are the types of things people are looking for now when they're looking for their next job their career they want to work in these types of environments where the company is sensitive and they're building programs for this i was amazed i'll give you this last one i think it was about a few weeks ago ceridian has put out that uh, we are guaranteeing you know 17 weeks payment for anybody for on maternity adoption uh any time a paternity leave 17 weeks globally and so, again, a lot of credit to these companies who are starting, can it start at the top, allowing us as leaders to grab that torch and run with it? Yeah, I think that's great. And in fact, some of those ideas are filtering into the public sector as well. The state of Georgia this year, for the first time, has made some moves on maternity leave for both parents. And in fact, I had an employee whose wife is expecting to come in the office yesterday and talk about what his plans were. And I'm, I'm really glad that we're able to, to make those strides in that area. I, I think it, it's an important part of keeping people at the University of Georgia. Any other thoughts on like employee experience? I mean, it, it's this kind of weird new normal that we talk about on the show that like somewhere along the line, the baton was passed to the CIO to be the steward <laughs> of employee experience. And it's kind of a kind of a funny thing. I, I, I like how you said the, the baton, uh, right? I, I think it's because we did such an amazing job enabling people to work remotely during the pandemic, right? We have established an employee experience. Uh, program community, and it's made up of IT as well as, you know, other leaders in the company. Um, and we're focused on, you know, flexibility, right? We're focused on recognition, inclusion, collaboration, and, and Ian, I brought this sort of earlier connection, right? And those are great aspirational pillars. And so we break each of those down and we talk about, you know, for me, what is the underlying technology enabling those categories? And then what are we doing to communicate it? Because we cannot be alone on an island ahead of employee experience without bringing in other parts of the company, right? Whether it's communications or change champions, how are we adopting this um, and getting it out there? And so for me, what I want is to have the technology that gets to sit in the background that people don't even see because they talk about what we're doing with the technology, right? Not about you know, I'm um, having problems with my, my video conferencing system, right? No, I, I want that to be seamless. I want everything about onboarding to be automated. Again, that's seamless. So the greatest gift for us as IT leaders is we don't talk about the tech. We talk about what we're doing with the tech. And so for us, it was very important to establish that employee experience program where we're just as much focused on the what versus the how, right? I, I think that's great. I, I think we've been real real leaders in, in a couple of areas. One is for our own employees, we really emphasize professional development. In fact, we have kind of an ironclad commitment to our employees that we will we will invest 4% of our resources annually in employee professional development, primarily training and conferences, some online, some now yeah. back uh, face to, to face this year. And if you cut our budget, we'll just take whatever's 4% left of that, and that's what we'll spend in, in, in the next year. Uh, we've now seen that kind of be modeled throughout the, the entire university. That, that commitment is something that we, we make verbally to our employees. We communicate it annually as part of our strategy and strategic plan for, 
uh, the upcoming year. And then for this year, this is the first real year now where there are going to be conferences this fall. We are, I've encouraged everybody to get out of the office and go do a face-to-face professional development experience somewhere. And, um, and uh, we're, we're seeing that modeled uh, throughout the institution, which I think is really good. You know, we find it interesting with this hybrid workforce. I'm coming to people's homes in a lot of cases. I mean, think about that. I'm the leader. I'm like, don't come into my office. We're going to talk. I'm coming to your home. It's personal. You're inviting me into your personal life. And there's something so genuine, vulnerable about that, right? And we as leaders, you know, I, I talk about it's hard to connect. That is something I as a leader really you know, take, I don't think for granted, I, I really appreciate someone allowing me to kind of, I hate to say this, peek into their life, right? I, I might see a room, a cat walk by, and so it's personal. And so it's just a very different mindset as we're trying to lead and lead this virtual, you know, hybrid type of a workforce these days. Totally agree. I spent my formative years in the army and, and uh, we always talk about, you know, checking in on soldiers, going to their house, you know, yeah. meeting their family, seeing their stuff. In the corporate world, it's like that was always seen as like, you know, an invasion of privacy. But it's just this totally different window into these other people's lives. And you you get to know much more about them. And, and it allows you to be a more empathetic, understanding leader. Yeah. So this is CIO classified after all. So we have to talk some secrets. Just like it's no secret that we love Asana. And they're the presenting sponsor of the show. Uh, we love them dearly. So everybody, for our listeners, go to check out asana.com and they're the best. So what, what are your secrets or one secret that you know that other CIOs maybe don't and you think they should? I'm so volunteering, Tim, for this one. <laughs> yeah, I'll, just, I'll, I'll jump in real quick. So um, I just came off annual leave for a couple of weeks and first day back in the office. Every month, my assistant rounds me up three lists, one list of who's got a birthday in the coming month, who's got uh, who's got a promotion in the last month, and who are the new employees that started in the last month. And so, uh, you know, I took the time an hour this morning to, to write a, a handwritten birthday card to every one of the employees with the birthday. No promotions this month, but typically... When there are promotions, I'll uh, I'll write them a, a personal note with with some personalization about them and what they're doing in their in their career path, and then I send an email to uh, to the new employees asking them just to drop by. I'd love to meet them and talk about who they are and uh, welcome them to the organization. I think the trick is just being available. I I, th- I think the best leaders, you know, basically create a kind of a team oriented flat culture where where people really sweat the details of the work together and the relationship of trust and respect are critical to that. And and so as a leader, I try to to, to use those monthly communications with employees. It's it's worth the the hour that I invested that every month because it it makes me more accessible to to the entire organization. I like that. I like the tip. Uh, before uh, you know, we we got on the call. And I wrote down lead by example. And at the end of the day, none of us as leaders are perfect. We don't know everything, but people will look towards us on how we respond to things, right? Your professionalism, your enthusiasm, your hope, your relentless optimism. And I think that we need to constantly just remind ourselves lead by example. So, you know, Tim's example of being human and that personal touch by recognizing someone, being open, a flat organization. Anything you can do, if you want to create a culture, it starts with you. It starts at the top. And so just remember, everyone is is watching for your lead. And so whatever you're trying to grow, develop in your own culture and environment, make sure you're portraying that yourself. 
and and be open to that feedback, right? So I'm I ask my team all the time for feedback, and so again, it's showing I want vulnerability, right? I have vulnerability. I'm 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 willing to to accept that I don't know everything, and so again, that's the culture I want to create: trust, no collaboration, and so it takes me at the top to demonstrate that as well. Last segment here, we got questions for each other. I'm sure you have a million. But uh, I think we'll have to just stick with one. Questions for each other. Yeah, I wrote down, uh, you know, I mentioned I came from retail, right? So uh, large brick and mortar, lots of employees. And, you know, and I was just thinking about Tim's environment. And I thought, oh, my gosh, Tim, every year, 25% of your customers, as you called them, your students, change. And not only that, the ones that are coming in, not just the ones that are there, they're technology savvy. They have an expectation of how things are going to work, how things are going to be, right? And so I thought to myself, Tim, how do you handle that change management of, you know, a quarter of your customers are brand new every year? Yeah, we've got, you know, a a strong team that works with the student affairs professionals. So this summer, for example, the, you know, roughly 6,000 freshmen coming in. I do think, though, technology has become more accessible and, frankly, requires less of us, right? I mean, none of us have ever woken up in the middle of the evening and had a problem with Facebook and called the Facebook help, book, help desk, right? I mean, it's it's generally built in ways with an eye towards user experience that's a little bit more streamlined than that. So we try to, to keep an eye towards you know, that type of really anytime, anywhere, no assistance kind of needed environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I do have a couple of staff of communications professionals who frankly watch Reddit, they they watch Twitter and so on and other things. And we're really sensitive to to feedback through uh, those types of direct channels. But generally, just like you, Carrie, or maybe not like you, Carrie, and this, let me ask you this, this question, frankly, the best side of my success at the University of Georgia is very few people know who I am. I can walk. Now I'm a faculty member. I teach. So I, I've got, you know, a group of 45 students myself. I'll go yep. meet Thursday. But if I have anonymity with most faculty and most students, that probably means I'm doing my job pretty well and the team's being very successful. And uh, I, is, is it the same for you? What do you, what do you yeah. think about that proposition? Yeah, no, no, I, I concur exactly. Right. Um, if, if, if it's quiet on the on the front and we're focused on what's most important, which in my case is usually top, driving top line revenue, um, right? I know I'm doing my job uh, and, and we're, we're, we have the right lens on customer focus and service. You know, in IT, our biggest, the biggest space of IT, right, is the folks out there, whether it's your help desk, your desktop support. Most people think of IT as, as that type of a service. You know, very few people, you know, come to talk to me about, you know, new ERP systems, right? That's a select few uh, that are looking at strategy. So I got to have a lens on that large, vast ecosystem, make sure that that they are happy and they are enabled all the time. So I'm only talking about the, the stuff that moves the needle. Absolutely. I like that word anonymity. Like, you know, you walk around and I actually too, I, I'd rather have people know my staff and, and by, let's face it, they're the ones, they're the ones doing all the hard work. Right. My job at the end of the day is, is enablement. Right. I'm making sure we're focused on the right thing and I'm enabling them. And so I want to empower them. And so I can go on to whatever's next, you know, that that needs my focus. And so like you, I really get excited when someone says, oh, Carrie, I reached out to, you know, your your head of application. She was great. And so th- that really makes me feel good that they don't have to come to me. Right. I've enabled my team 
to be out there and be the face of IT. So absolutely. Yeah, good for you for them. I agree with that 100%. Well, that's it. That's all we uh, we got for today. Any uh, any final thoughts? Go dogs. <laughs> yeah, I know you y'all have been on quite the run. Carrie, any final thoughts? No, great, great segment, great topics. They're all top of mind. It's been a, a pleasure talking with Tim. Uh, I'm gonna have to have my my son take a look at your college just to see. Uh, right, we're we're in the college list. Absolutely. So, so again, uh, thank you, Ian, for putting this together. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And please do, Carrie, uh, you know, put us on your college tour. And uh, I'm, I'm a Google uh, search away and would love to host you here in Athens, Georgia. Thank you both. Take care. Thank you for listening to CIO Classified. This episode was brought to you by Asana. From everyday tasks to big picture goals, Asana securely organizes work. So teams know what to do, why it matters, and how to get it done. Plus, with more than 100 integrations, Asana brings together everything your team needs to communicate, collaborate, and coordinate work in one place. Visit asana.com to try for free. That's A-S-A-N-A dot